Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. My name is David Breer and we are recording this live from the MoneyPot booth here at Money 2020 in Amsterdam. In today's episode, we're going to be asking, how do you make back office payment processes sexy? I know that's a bit of a tall ask, isn't it? We get it. The stuff that gets into consumers' hands is bound to get the most amount of attention in the wide world. But as a certified fintech nerd, should we all be doing a little bit more to bang the drum for back-end financial services, the oil in the machine that actually makes the whole thing operate? In this show, uh, as well as probably lots of proctology jokes that I'll be bringing up, we're also put together an amazing panel of amazing guests to talk about this discussion. We're going to be talking about why do back office processes often get overlooked from the shiny magic beans? What are the biggest challenges to shining a light on this niche? And could AI make backend payments a hot topic again? We'll discuss all of this and much, much more on today's show. But first, a few brief messages. Don't go anywhere. 11FS has been voted Consultancy of the Year at the British Bank Awards for a fourth time. We are super excited about bringing home the trophy, and it means more knowing that it is our clients that are the ones who voted for us. Digital financial services may only be 1% finished, but we're working with banks, fintechs, and everybody in between to chip away at the 99% still to go. And moments like this really tell us that we're on the right track. If you want to work with an award-winning team to build game-changing propositions, then let's chat. 11FS Ventures is home to industry experts across embedded finance, customer experience, digital strategy, bank building, and so much more. Kickstart your next project today and visit 11FS.com forward slash ventures. That's 11FS.com forward slash ventures. Hello and welcome LFG people to Fintech Insider Blockchain Insider 11FS Spotlight 11FS Explores Open Mic Night After Dark Through our podcasts, videos, newsletters and live events we have a direct line to a truly global fintech community so if you're looking to sponsor and collaborate on content that connects with everybody from fintech beginners to the biggest VCs then chat to our team at sponsors at 11FS.com or visit 11FS.com to find out more Long live the community. All right, let's get started. As always, I'm joined by a panel of outstanding guests who can shed a little bit more light on this question. First off, it is a FinTech Insider debut for Ben Morfoot, who is the Director of Product over at GoCardless. How's it going, Ben? Very good. Very happy to be here. Uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself and uh, what you do over in GoCardless. Absolutely. So GoCardless is a PSP. We're focused on bank-to-bank payments, so literally moving money from one bank account to another. We help over 85,000 businesses around the world do that. And our, our vision is to become the bank na- payment network for the world. Um, I've been there for six years, worked on a range of products over that time, but most recently launched a, a product called GoCardless Embed, which allows other PSPs and other platforms to embed our payments directly into their products. Very, very cool. And very much on point for the uh, subject matter we're talking about. Again, good good point to uh, producer Laura for booking great guests again. Uh, uh, we also have a, a, a debut on Fintech Insider for Abid Mumtaz. Mumtaz. There we go. Right. Commercial lead for Wise platform over at Wise. Um, Abid, can you tell us a little bit more about your role and... Uh, Wise, if anybody hasn't heard of you guys, it's going to be unlikely. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's often I often have to start the question with, uh, "Have you heard of Wise?" If so, I'll I'll cut the skip that I'll ten give minutes. The, I'll yeah. give you the short story. <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, so my role ultimately is is probably a side of the business that many people aren't as familiar with, which is the Wise platform. We are fundamentally wise, but for banks, fintechs, enterprises, and businesses that want to move money cross-border. They access our infrastructure and they use that infrastructure to solve it for their own customer and their own needs. So I've been at WISE for just shy of five years, um, ultimately building out that team and thinking about how we can really commercialize and take that to market as we work with over today, 60 banks and fintechs globally to help them power that money movement. Exciting. And uh, again, Laura smashed it on the on the guest set. I'm not going to have to talk at all. You guys have got all of this. It's great. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, both of you. Uh, let's get on with the show. Um, maybe if we start a little bit with a, a bit of a fintech proctology here, given that we're talking about the back end and back office payments. Um, what do we actually mean by back office payments? Because, I mean, you sort of described it like wise that you know and love for consumers, but doing that for businesses. Is that how you guys think about it? Yeah, I think that that's one side of it. Um, so, you know, behind the scenes almost, if you want to say, uh, not thinking typically about just wise and or just individuals, but you're thinking more businesses, vendors, suppliers, like all this, there's so many different use cases when it comes to payments and moving money. I think that's one part of back office that often gets thrown around. I think the other part, and love to get your thoughts on this, but it's also the process behind how actually money moves. And people often say, yeah, you know, we can move money from here to here in less than 20 seconds. And it sounds great on the on the front end of it. But ultimately, what's actually happening behind the scenes to make that happen? Yeah. Um, and I think that's the other side of probably back office as well. Mm. Ben, what, what do you think? How do you guys define back office payments? Yeah, absolutely. For me, it's it's the rails, like that sort of very fintech type word, the metal, if you like, the what's all the stuff going on behind the scenes that you never see. And you see the outcome from it, right? You see the, the dimensions by which you can measure whether that payment has been a, a good payment or not but all of the complicated stuff behind the scenes. And that, for us at Cocardless, is where a lot of the value is. That's where we focus on and put a lot of time on, on doing a really good job of, of those payments. Yeah, I mean, it, and it's interesting, isn't it? That sort of innovation, the sort of revolution in the rails, as you as you sort of described the, the, the rails of the business. I mean, that is... That is a place that it has been a, we talk about the fabric of financial services at 11FS. It is the sort of deep-seated underpinning foundations of the industry, isn't it? And if those things are not right, it it makes it really difficult to, yeah. to build anything else above it, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You need that set of, uh, if you like, reliable primitives. Like if you're having, having to question and to be honest, if you're having to be aware of any of the complexity of the underlying mechanisms, that immediately takes away from the value, right? You're having to special case for, I don't know, this geography or this method or, or this particular payer as much as possible. You just want those things to go away and let lets others, you know, focus on building the value in the different parts of the, of the stack. Yeah. Uh, does that fabric sort of part resonate with you then in terms of that low-lying primitives is, as it was described? A hundred percent. Yeah. So, I mean, thinking about it as a, like the rails in which things actually move upon so for us it's about connecting into as many markets around the world that's like our whole usp for customers and businesses globally is how do we move money cross-border so when we think about the underlying back office it's the connection into every single payment scheme that operates in the world and the work that has to be done to be able to get that connectivity so yeah i think it, it totally aligns well with what, what ben's saying yeah the coverage coverage is key we're a customer by the way so you don't have to yeah, yeah. To yeah. We're very very aware. Test. it's very good I can get out of the way, guys. I'm light, <laughs> light, light a candle, you know. Um, so, uh, I mean, when we talk about the importance of this, then in terms of in terms of doing it, I mean, that's we're talking about trillions of dollars moving around the world. You know, the the sort of lifeblood of industry in that sense, in terms of the money moving around, right? I mean, it's a big big problem to solve for people, isn't it? 
it's it's a massive problem to solve. And I think what you're seeing, and and Ben, you probably see this as well, is like customers and businesses, their expectations of how money moves, those those trillions of dollars that have been moving, is changing. And the back office payments, that terminology very much is at the, actually the forefront of innovation to help that change be realized, meet those expectations, meet those changes, and then ultimately make customers happy. So that for those payments to stay, uh, for that volume and that transaction to stay on those rails and stay on those uh, with the providers and banks and various suppliers that are ultimately providing those services, they also have to move forward and change a lot of the things that they're, they're doing because those things are changing very much so. Is there, a, is there a sort of an inertia from incumbents to make these changes to a certain degree? I mean, you know, slow money movement around the world. I mean, there's a whole business model in that in, in that sentence as well, right? So, so I mean, is there a, uh, is, do you think there's a lack of understanding, not just from a public perspective in terms of the fundamentals of, I mean, this is, we're talking about the fundamentals of financial services here in terms of money movement, but even in banks, like I'm, I, comprehend sometimes whether people really understand how the the rails work as you as you describe them but i mean do you think there's a lack of understanding of this uh 100% and it's it's maybe not actually i'll take that back. maybe not 100% it's not quite the lack of understanding of 2% how, of people yeah, understand 2% it. of people <laughs> it's not quite the lack of understanding as opposed to these are really large organizations that are quite fragmented so uh, and they and they often have different kind of KPIs that they care about like a the revenue generating aspect of a transaction bank cares about the revenue that comes through these payments. An AML team cares about how many hits do they have. A back office team cares about how many requests for more information, how many bounce backs and problematic flows they have. And they all they all have so many different metrics that they're not all solving for one thing. Mm. Uh, and that often causes for slowness and and actually inertia to move. Yeah, because it's it's not that they know they need to; it's that they actually don't know how to. Yeah. I mean, it's a really valid point. I mean, and it's not only, I mean, that's bad when it's, you know, one geo, but when you're talking about multinational banks and multiple P&L owners across different geographies trying to tie together for a business case, it just doesn't work. It doesn't you know work. I mean? It doesn't work. I mean, you, you guys work very globally as well, right? I mean, do you concur with what was said? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for banks themselves, I sort of think back to my time as a consultant working with banks and you look at the number of, you know, like Fortran and Cobalt developers that they that they employ just to kind of keep the core payments things running. Like there's, there are definitely bits of those banks that nobody really knows how they how they work. I really regret my decision to get out of coding for <laughs> you. Like I, I could have made a That's fortune just staying Fortran, in that. Yeah, yeah, Fortran 95. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think there's an interesting, there is an interesting geographic point to this where it's very easy to assume that the norms that you have are the same everywhere, right? You, you Being from the UK, we assume... It's very easy to assume that something like faster payments exists everywhere. Sure. Whereas, you know, we've only got FedNow um, coming about in, in the US this year. Um, and it's not, you know, the, the future is kind of here, but it's not it's not geographically equally spread yet, as the, kind of the common phrase goes. Um, so I think it's definitely, yeah, the, the sort of global part of it is key. And thinking back to those, making a sort of a primitive that, that works in a, in a very understandable way. Ideally, you want to normalize that across the world as best mm. as possible. A lot of that comes down to using different rails in different places to kind of get the best of those different underlying mechanisms. Yeah. And that's that's the difficulty, isn't it? It's not a implementation of a, you know, a, a single system that solves all of those problems. We're talking about a patchwork quilt. You're, Absolutely. We're attempting to, and, and not just from a technological perspective, but from a regulatory perspective globally to then facilitate what something that you know, yeah. customers or businesses think should be obvious, should be trivial, you know? Yeah. It's weird how many people think you can send an email to anywhere therefore you should be able to send money and it just doesn't really work like that, does it? So It's, inter uh, it's interesting to say that. It's one of the things that 
when wires started or transfer wires back before then, it was money should be able to move as easy as an email. Okay. <laughs> and that's, that's literally the, I think the theory behind it makes sense. The, the application of it is, and as you touched upon this just there, is there's different customers and it's not a one size fit all. Like a, a really large corporate will think very differently to a much smaller, medium sized business to an individual just trying to send money back home to their parents in, in whichever country they, they're based in globally. So the, the expectations of speed will matter for some, price will matter for others, and there'll be security different, so many different aspects that each of those customers actually care about. Yeah. Um, that it's, I think today to try and find that one size fit all is your you're fighting a losing battle there. Yeah. Is it, uh, is it a challenge as well? I mean, given so many organizations sort of shy away from, you know, what we're talking about is, uh, again, it's, you know, deep-seated technological uh, enablement of, uh, of real-time um, money movement across the entirety of the planet. I mean, that's a long sentence. It's hard to get out of my mouth in the first place, but it's like, that's not easy. So do you think many organizations gravitate towards the sort of shiny front end pieces because that's the bit that's easier to get people to understand than it is, you know, digging out of the trenches for, you know, a global network of payments rails that is actually really, really difficult to do. Because, I mean, to your point, we've heard, okay, just use this token for blah, 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 blah. And then like you've enabled, you know, global payments. And it's like, well, it doesn't quite work like that. But is it mostly maybe people just not accepting the first stage of any problem, right, is accepting that there is a problem? Uh, is that the bit that's been missing a little bit? Yeah, I think so. I think, uh Again, who traditionally has made a lot of revenue from cross-border payments in our world and just generally payments full stop, it's uh, financial institutions. And there's uh, there's obviously a st starting to change with players like GoCardus, like Wise and others who are coming in and, and ultimately showing what a new infrastructure could enable and customers are switching. And there's a very large switching behavior that's happening now and they're starting to create some uh, uh, behavioral change within these financial institutions to want to change and accept that there is a problem. But if you, if you take the largest institutions globally and put them on a spectrum of very aware there's a problem and need to change and know there's a problem, but have zero intention to change that you'll see this so, so widely, right, yeah. widely spread out. Yeah. Look, if you're still making money, it's very difficult to make a case to change sometimes, isn't it? But, uh, I guess on in that note, though, I mean, we are seeing change. You know, we're seeing, as we touched on a little bit, we're seeing regulatory change in many GOs. We've seen real advancements from a technological perspective as well in terms of, you know, uh, adoption of, of those things. What would you guys sort of say, you know, last five years, what has been the, the biggest shift that you've seen in the industry with regards to back-end payments? I think there's probably uh, two. So one is the, the rise of sort of instant payments. And obviously we're still seeing that going on. As I mentioned before, the other has to be open banking and, you know, it can't be a podcast about payments without mentioning open banking. Uh, and to your point earlier around these things not being a universal geographical patchwork that's the same, something like open banking, it's very easy to think of it as basically it's just a set of very similar APIs because it's got the same name, but actually it's very different, works in very different ways in, in very different places. Yeah. Um, but the gradual rise of those bank APIs allowing money movement as well as other things, but um, critically money movement is the biggest change and the, and the biggest shift. I think promises or offers the most promise, promise for um, uh, a lot, you know, future innovation here and, and real change in the way that money can be moved. Yeah, a bit of standardization in the endpoints make things a little exactly. bit easier, don't they? But Abid, what do you think? What's the, what's the biggest things in the last five years? I, I'd echo the instant side of things for sure. Um, payments are getting faster. 
because of the rise in disruption of alternative payment providers, not because I think the traditional providers are getting faster. Uh, I think the market is forcing the, uh, these players to ultimately move there. But I'd probably call out two things <clears throat> which do stand out, particularly from my side, is transparency. Mm-hmm. Um, so regulators, governments globally are recognizing a need for a more transparent model where it comes to whether it be the fees that are charged to make a payment from A to B, whether it be how long a payment will take to settle and actually have a degree of accuracy to to that. There's a lot of a governmental change and regulatory change and legislation change, like the European Parliament passed a, I think maybe a year ago or a year and a half ago, that banks need to tell their customers exactly how much they're charging them to move money cross-border. You can't just put an exchange rate and expect someone to understand, oh, I'm being charged 50 euros for that. They wouldn't have a clue if that's how it's presented. So now it's show the mid-market rate and show your fee very transparently. And whether that's being perfectly adopted is, a, is, a, is another thing, but you know, these things are happening now. Yeah. So I think the transparency is something that at WISE we really care about because I think so it's, it will help us go a long way into truly making money movement like the problem that we face in it actually a solution towards it. Yeah, all of that sort of leads to customers being better enabled to make choice, right? Absolutely. And that, that's, a, that's a great thing in, in any market, isn't it? It sort of drives competition in, in a real way, doesn't it? So it's, um, it's amazing how many, you know, sort of black boxes can be used as sort of uh, obfuscation of, of uh, actually what's going on. And as we said earlier on, a lot of business models are predicated on that, aren't they? So uh, it's good to get a little bit more transparency. On the, on the business model side of things, it's, <clears throat> it's really one shift I'd, I'd, love to see, I'd love to see happen a bit more, and I think we're starting to see it, is yes, there's value for customers, but there's also value for if you take a bank or a, a financial institution in becoming transparent. Yeah. And it's, it's beyond you know, customer relationship, deepening that customer engagement and trust. But this, this session's about the back office payments. And I, I referenced before, like back office is, always, is also around the operations, the servicing behind the scenes. And I think just taking transparency as a really good example, the moment you go transparent, you actually see some really interesting things that happen in the back office, which is stuff like the cost of moving money for you going down. Like as a, as a, as a financial institution, the cost of moving that money is super important to me, not just the revenue I earn from it. It's, it's no good earning 10 pounds if it cost me 15 pounds <laughs> to move it. So I want that cost to come down. And with, I think with things like the way money, you know, speed that you mentioned, Ben, transparency, these are helping also the cost of moving money come down. I think that's something that's often not spoken about a lot because the sexy thing is to talk about revenue. Uh, but I think really the angle of how much it's it's the operating model and the business model behind it is, is super critical. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we'll, we'll come back and touch on that more because I, I really agree with you. It's, it, it's that sort of, it's not what you do, it's the way that you do it. And the change in the back office is as much an operational revolution as it is anything in that sense, isn't it, as well? But we'll come back and talk about that uh, in a little while. But maybe if we move the conversation on to the, the challenge faced with, you know, sexing up the back-end payment space and, and really what the opportunities are to do that. Um, if we start off, though, um, have third parties taken some of the heavy lifting away is the, the question to, to get going. And we managed to catch up with Stripe CTO to ask why companies like Amazon switching to Stripe to optimize their payment set up and really what are the benefits of doing that hear from him now yeah when i first started using stripe in 2016 we were payments for developers and startups 
And we're still doing that, but now tech giants like Amazon, Microsoft, and Uber, and global brands like Zara and BMW are switching to Stripe. And why is this happening? It's because even the world's largest businesses can't afford thousands of payments nerds on their team sweating the details to help them eke out every last bit of revenue from their sales. You take something like, for instance, deciding whether to use a network token or a card number to run a transaction. At Stripe, we'll route between the two based on historical performance of the precise bin of the card issuer to maximize your auth rate. And when you get down to it, these fine-grained fractional improvements in payments, they're technological changes that need investment to get right. But it makes no sense for any one company to invest in all that stuff solely for themselves. So increasingly, they're coming to us, and they're seeing an immediate bump in revenue. And I'm really excited to be here at Money 2020 and meet many of these users and the financial partners that we work with to serve them. Very cool. Um, so I guess bringing it back here into the room, I mean, do you really think that you know we need to understand payments more as, as was described? But but also, I guess the the bit that um, that he he pointed out around really the uh, the businesses not being able to afford you know, the amount of payments people in their organizations to kind of sweat those assets. That's got a really interesting point to make, really, because really what we're talking about, I mean, big organizations built, you know, as you said earlier on, Ben, the, the rails, they built all the full stack of their organization to make it happen. But we live in a world now where, you know, people can do slices, you know, you both and various other organizations can do slices of those things far more effectively. The the core purpose of being a financial services player isn't really about having a, you know, a fully defined back office if somebody else can do that better than you can and for you, right? So, I mean, is he pointing out we're at a, almost like an evolutionary step in terms of what does it mean to be a financial services player uh, and actually what do you really need to be good at? Abid, do you want to, that was a that was a big question to come back That's in, but uh, what do you think? Uh, I, I absolutely think there's an evolutionary change there. Um, I'll probably reference a, a good example of this where even just if you take the financial institution, there is so much change happening just at the very core of these financial institutions. And you just need to walk around this event to see some of those changes taking place, right? You've got the likes of Temenos, Mambu, Thought Machine, ultimately building you know, new new banking models, like the banking 2.0, yeah. almost to call it. And their model, if you if you integrate and you build off a, a thought machine core stack, for example, is entirely built on third parties and an ecosystem of vendors plugging in and providing the best in class ledger, the best in class payments module, mm. the best in class verification module. So if you're now building the bank of 2.0, you're not building all of this infrastructure yourself. And that's actually been the biggest problem in the historically is to do 200 things very well all at once is, is next to no one's achieved it. Yeah. And I don't think anyone will achieve it unless you have a lot of money and a lot of time to, to spend on that. Well, and, and even then, uh, I think as, as he points out, a lot of people with the, the right skill sets as well. I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of organizations, every IT department I've ever come across goes, yeah, I could build that. And like, you know, they're like, yeah, I could, I could build a, a wise or a go card or whatever. And you're like, Great. You might be able to build the thing, but running it successfully and continually evolving that product and having the, the culture and the mindset to make uh, those people continually want to solve new problems. That's a very different matter in that sense. What, what do you think, Ben? Yeah, absolutely. We, I mean, we even with other payment companies, we have this conversation all the time where you're going to where at the moment we're trying to sell in bed. So is this product for other PSPs to get access to our payments? And the obvious argument they make is, well, why, why don't we just build this? 
and fine you can look you can look at kind of a surface level of building it but even even as soon as you scratch beneath the surface you realize how much complexity is there and then as you say the ongoing maintenance we have great conversations with our team that you know runs our, our core payment mechanism about all the weird and wonderful things that happen in different places across the world we've got a couple of bits of code somewhere in our in our, um, our global network code that we're not entirely sure why it works, but there's something about a particular bank that needs a certain parameter setting a certain way and the bank can't tell us why, but we're just like, okay, fine, as long as it works. It's just the way it is. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we, we, can, you know, we can spot those things because we're focusing on it and we're putting a lot of payments through, but if you're going to build that yourself, it would take you a long while to mm. work out why those particular payments aren't working. Yeah. Well, we, we often sort of say to people, there's, I mean, there's the rails underpinning everything. You know, you construct financial instruments, the products above that. But increasingly, organizations are spending more time creating services, you know, things that orchestrate these things to to really solve, you know, solve real problems for people or for businesses. So, I mean, arguably, do, do businesses not need to know how this stuff? I mean, we spent the first half of the show sort of saying that they need to know more about it. It's really important. But But if you guys are great at it and other players are, you know, solving this problem actually does it allow them to now solve the real problem of their organizations, which is solving problems for those businesses or solving problems for those customers? So, do you want to start, Abid? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, going to the point, of, like, do businesses or consumers need to actually know how does money move? Uh, I mean, I make payments. I don't think I need to know that. I, I have an expectation of what I want it to do. I want it to be low cost. I want it to get there as fast as possible. And I want to make, I ultimately want my money to arrive. Like, I, I just... I care about these three things. Um, I'm not as worried about how it's moving. Now, as long as you give me that service level, if you're not giving me that service level, then I start to, I probably do start to care about what you're, what you're doing underneath and behind the scenes. But if you're doing these things right, you don't need to know. Um, but then it, the part that we, which we spoke about earlier, which is those building and actually offering those services, they, they have to fully comprehend and appreciate the complexity that it goes into making and achieving that service level. Yeah. So I, I always use this example in all my conversations that I have with pretty much every financial institution in the world, which is connecting to the rail underlying rails that we've spoken about is probably the easier part. Like just being able to plug in into faster payment scheme in the UK is not, that's not a challenge, but then making sure hundred percent of your payments actually do settle in less than 20 seconds. There's like a hundred things you got to do right to be able to do that. And more often than not, I hear, well, I'm connected to faster payment scheme, so I can move money instantly already. I'm like, just because you're connected doesn't mean you are. Yeah. And I think it's the real thing there is that there's a knowledge gap. So those individuals and businesses need to better understand what it takes to get there. Yeah. But the customer itself doesn't need to worry about it. Well, that. and your point earlier on around the controls and the systems and the governance and everything that needs to go around Absolutely. that to provide a financial instrument. You know, I mean, there's a... There's a lot of responsibility with that, isn't there? Yeah, so huge uh, amounts. I mean, you, you talked a little bit about transparency earlier on as well, and maybe sort of coming back to that because, I mean, as you say, the the transparency can really help. Uh, you know, can help customers, can can help organisations, but equally, uh, I mean, there's a lot of uh, flabby back ends uh, in uh, many organisations that actually could create more of a an issue to expose those things in in that way not not from a not necessarily from a uh, it highlights a problem and therefore there's an opportunity to fix it but just from a reputational perspective it's it's quite a slow process in organizations sometimes to highlight the issue and then solve it do you do you think that might be a an inhibitor to transparency in that way yeah definitely i think if you if you don't if you don't know what the uh the problem that's being caused uh you have 
ultimately you don't want to, you don't think there's a problem to solve. But if I then told you, uh, because you're not transparent, two out of 10 customers contact you, asking them, asking you, where is my money? How much, you, how much is this costing me? And then I told you that contact is costing you 50 pound each time. And then you scale that across millions of transactions. You then start to think this is a problem that I need to solve because yeah. actually what you're realizing is that this is a direct hit to my PL. But it's, it's often not spoken about in those ways. It's often just spoken about transparency and not, not to say this in a bad way, but it, we, we do focus a lot on just the customer benefit. And that then, and I do sympathize with these, these financial institutions and in that if you're only just talking about one benefit and not the other side, it then becomes harder to make the change. But if you really communicate this to the impact it has to your organization, your PL, and your downstream uh, planning and resourcing, I think then you start to get their attention of these people. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Ben? Is that, uh, uh, you know, transparency has a, a sort of multifaceted view, doesn't it, in terms of what that means for, for the businesses themselves? But does it go beyond just the, the fees, do you think? Absolutely, yeah. One of our, or a couple of our key sort of dimensions that we call them about how we think about whether we're providing a good payment method or not, are success and visibility of that success. So being aware, for example, of, you know, whether this payment is due to fail, whether it has failed, how quickly I know that, how quickly I know that I've got to route it in another direction, mm. how quickly I know whether I've got to contact this customer through through another means, the speed of that message as is as important as kind of the success or, or failure itself. Yeah, you can burn a lot of time on all the edge cases, right? That's where the people time goes and that's where we're, therefore, where all the money goes. Yeah. So, so I, I guess, look, we started this with, there hasn't been a, you know, massive amount of innovation, but I mean, you guys both show me that that's not the case. You know, your companies exist to innovate in this space and to, to make this happen in the same way as Stripe do and a lot of other organizations that are, are being really successful in, in here. So, I mean, is it only really the, the lack of understanding then that is inhibiting more people standing up and talking about this stuff in a way that connects people with those, those real issues? Do you, do you think it is inhibiting the industry or do you think actually you guys are probably a testament to the fact that it's not? Um, so I think there's a there's a level of there's definitely a level that's blocking the speed at which we can innovate. So I think it's it's the people are aware, people are and businesses are aiming to, and like I said, just attending this event in itself does help you highlight that there is a lot. And we'll I was you know listening to a few sessions already. There's definitely it's definitely on the mind, um, and there's definitely already a lot of really impressive work that's happening by the likes of ourselves and and, and many other companies. Um, I think with with every bit of innovation is prioritization to a certain extent. There's so many different problems that we could be solving. Uh, it's making sure we're choosing the right ones and being able to figure out what are the right ones. Uh, and part of that is a knowledge thing. So once you have a full understanding of the impact that such things can have on payments, whether it be transparency or speed, you can then more effectively and efficiently prioritize the innovation towards it. Um, without the information and without perfect information, that becomes difficult to do because you feel like you're taking a bit of a, a bet in the dark, which again, these organizations are not designed for people to be doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody likes investing in the dark. Um, <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, I think, I mean, these sort of payments, in answer, I suppose, to the first question, how do we make these things sexy? I don't think we do. And I think that's okay. I think they're always going to be difficult and to a lot of people kind of boring, but that's where the value is, right? That's where we enjoy as, as fintech nerds, as you, as you said at the beginning, getting in there and looking at how we can optimize the, the sort of rails and things that exist to, to come up with improvements that other people didn't spot and didn't know were there. 
I think overall, it's also obviously a lot of this is driven by industry level change and governmental level change and getting um, either a load of banks together to change something or or even if you look at a bunch of different countries together, that's that's really hard. And so it does feel like a lot of it's reactive and it's hard to sort of feel like you can push ahead and do things without just waiting for, you know, the new wave of payment mechanisms to come along and just sort of sat there waiting for somebody else to do something first. I think that's the inertia that's sort of difficult to, to overcome. Yeah. Um, we're going to just take a quick break and then we're going to talk about something that um, definitely is sticking some uh, innovation into pretty much every slice of financial services, and that's AI. Back in two seconds. A lot of you know 11FS for our chart-topping podcasts, our events, videos, reports, and a bunch of other cool stuff that we do. But what a lot of you don't know is that this is just all our side hustle. We do so much more than that. At 11FS Ventures, we're partnering with ambitious businesses around the world to design, build, and launch truly digital financial services. We are building banks, shaping new propositions, and growing existing offerings that change the fabric of financial services. And our design, research, strategy and engineering experts are working to improve your customer's relationship with money. To find out a little bit more, check us out at 11fs.com forward slash ventures. Okay, welcome back. Uh, One space, as I said just before the break, that's definitely putting uh, a bit of uh, coal back in the fire on the back end of payment side of things, but more broadly into financial services is, is AI. I mean, obviously when, you know, Wise and GoCardless was started, you know, artificial intelligence was a, a bit of a, a twinkle in everybody's eye in terms of what the opportunity was there. But but obviously the advancements that we're seeing from a, a technology pers- a perspective on the consumer end, but also, also obviously much more uh, business-focused, business-process operational side of things, as you described earlier on, uh, Abid, then, I mean, this has the potential to, to fundamentally change how those processes work, how risk and governance controls work. I mean, the list of opportunities there is endless, really, isn't it? Oh, uh, no, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I can, we're, why is we're looking at, so, you know, machine learning, AI, predictive analysis as, as pretty actually critical to how we try and achieve the mission we're trying to achieve. So we're, we're trying to think about how can we move money around the world always instantly and always at zero cost. Going back to my earlier statement, like an email. Um, to achieve that, you need to be able to do some pretty impressive things. Uh, and I think if we just take an example of that, which is like treasury management, liquidity management, for us, holding money in multiple currencies all over the world is pretty critical to us being able to settle money instantly everywhere. But also there's a cost of, there's a cost of capital, there's a cost of holding money. So what we and our, and our tra- trading and treasury teams have been spending a lot of time and engineering effort building almost something like, I think the this recent stat I came across was 10,000 hours a year trying to figure out how to do this better, is, uh, is match liquidity and predict how much money you need in each different currency everywhere in the world. So for us, it's, it's substantial. And I think those things then transpire down, downstream into fighting you know, financial crime or solving for reduced compliance costs or automating as much of the uh, uh, missing information or validation of, of payment information that can help improve a higher percentage of successful transactions. And all of these things are, are critical to achieving the lowest operating cost model when it for, for the back office payment, as to say. So I think it's it's going to be a key thing that we have to invest in and we have to spend time figuring out how to do because you're, you're talking about doing things in milliseconds, not 
in hours and days, which which previously you weren't, and you can't rely on manual work items anymore. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, in a, in a real-time network that's 24-7, then, you know, real-time monitoring and management of those things needs to be as, as good as anything. And as you, back to the point you made earlier on around, just because you've got access to the rails doesn't mean you're you're managing a service for people effectively, doesn't it? So it's the, uh, you know, the difference between, a, uh, you know, having a server under your desk or like a really advanced cloud service. It's a, exactly. a really different thing in the way in which it, and it manages scales. you. And exactly. it's all about scalability, right? If, we're, if you're talking about moving millions and trillions, as, as we were referencing, you can only do that through truly building an actual operating model that can grow as your business grows. Yeah. What, what do you think? I mean, how, where do you think the impact of, of AI will be on, on back-end payments? And, and how are you guys, uh, GoCardless, thinking about this? Yeah, I think when I think about AI, I think it's key to split what I think of as sort of the previous generation. So things based on machine, machine learning, basically evaluative, so they're spotting patterns from the current generation, if you like, things based on large language models, generative AI, where you know they're sort of generating text or um, code or, or images. The previous generation, I think now is pretty well bedded in. We've got a pretty good idea of what it does. So we've got a couple of products, one called Protect Plus, that's an anti-fraud product that's based on machine learning models of spotting fraud and blocking fraudulent payments and fraudulent payers. One called Success Plus, which is all about making payments more successful. So it predicts based on an, an ML model when the best days are going to be to retry payments. Um, and there's a lot of a lot of products now uh, you know, available within financial services based on, on that generation. I think what's really mad to think about is the current sort of generative um, and models. And currently, I really don't know. Like, I don't know where they're going to, you know, where are they going to have an impact? A lot of the stuff that I've seen has been not really that fintech focused, like things like um, helping people with support or with developer docs, those those kind of things. That's kind of just a general SaaS thing, right? That's nothing to do with payments or nothing to do with fintech. Um, the only places that I've really seen it start to be used and start to, some of those use cases start to be worked out a way you're interfacing with humans. So there's an interesting product I looked at recently where the the product recommends, you can ask it questions like, how am I doing on my pension or should I spend money on X? Do I, do I have enough money? And it uses the generative, generative um, large language model to come up with the answers to those questions based on the data set of your, your financial data it's got. But it's, it's that interface somewhere where something's being presented to a human. That's where this latest generation is really good. Um, and where we're still trying to search out, like, where could that be good? Where could that be useful? Lots of hypotheses, but I think none proven out yet. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be fascinating. There is uh, lots of rooms in lots of countries with lots of regulators freaking out to figure out where the line between advice and guidance sits with uh, with all of this stuff, isn't there? Because it's uh, going to be an absolute minefield. But uh, yeah. uh, what do you think on the, the sort of generative side of things? Is that is it more consumer-facing than business-facing where the impact of that will be really felt? Yeah, I, I I think I completely agree with you, Ben. I think that, that those things are specifically on the consumer side. I think that's where we're going to see you know, how it ultimately, I guess, portrays itself on the front end. It's probably the one way you could think about it. Um, I think that's probably the only form of adoption that I'm seeing right now. And whether that plays out into more ingrained within the business itself is, is a little bit seen yeah but when you you talked about um things like treasury management yeah. i mean that being a you know algorithmically based thing to continually optimize based on what's best for your business or what's fundamentally happening in markets while you're asleep i mean that's a that's, that's a huge yeah. leap isn't it yeah that's like that's something that's very important to us because and that goes back to um goes back to what some of the points we were referencing before right which is to move that money in the way that the customer expectation is evolving 
you actually need to be using these techniques to do that. Hmm. Um, you can't do that using the traditional forms of treasury management that financial institutions all over the world are still to some extent using. You're having to evolve and adopt to be able to do that in the many seconds required to be able to move the money in seconds. Um, so I think it's, it's going to transpire all the way from treasury management to operations to compliance to, su to support as well, like customer support ultimately will very much see uh, this being adopted. So it's, I guess taking this full circle from where we started then, I mean, we, we started with the very top of the show with the question of how do we make back office payments sexy? But I, I guess maybe we're leaving it with like, do we need to? Is it something that's necessary to make it a, uh, I mean, we all want to be proud and talk to our, you know, our parents and our friends about something that we do and them understand it. But uh, I mean, Ben, is that necessary? Do we do we need to be the boring people at the barbecue talking about payments? Or, yeah, uh, I was going to say, I'm at, I'm at the age where I'm going to a lot of weddings right now and trying to explain to people who have no idea what we do, what <laughs> GoCardless does and, and, and topics like open banking. I've given up and I'm okay with that. I'm happy being the the nerd in the room. I don't think we need to. I think uh, doing the sell, leave it to, to Go Carlos and Wise and other simpler companies to <laughs> similar companies. Sorry, to uh, yeah, to do it for you. What do you think? I'm I'm gonna just for the sake of uh, for the podcast, I'm gonna take an opposing view. Okay. And the only, the, the only thing I would say is uh, I do think it's important. Maybe sexy is not the right word for it, but I think it's critical that payments is viewed as and historically has been as like a kind of a cost item uh, or just a revenue generating item. And actually, if you think about the cost efficiency that you can achieve through making back office payments sexy, as to say, it has some pretty tremendous impact to your, to your business model. Um, so whilst I don't think it needs to be uh, sexy in the sense that uh, we have to be in the limelight all the time, but I think without it, Without it being sexy, people may not also invest the time and money in actually optimizing and then realizing the efficiencies that they could. And it might more often not lead to you know, other more front-end, very large, just revenue-generating uh, items and projects being prioritized over more cost efficiency and scale. And yeah. I think that's just... I don't think it is, but it's, I'd also just have a little warning out there as a let that not be the case. Yeah, I think that's a very fair shout. I think, um, do we have to make back office payments sexy? No, but you will appreciate them, goddammit. Like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I appreciate the sentiment. <laughs> that. All right, we better wrap up the show there and end today's discussion. So thank you so much for joining me. Uh, where can people find out more about uh, you and your companies? Ben, starting with you. Absolutely. The easiest way is just to, to Google Go Cardless, and particularly if you want to look at Embed, Go Cardless Embed. Um, but to find me, best places on LinkedIn. And Abid, where can people find more? Uh, well, for wise or wise platform, or whatever, you wanna, whatever you want to put. Wise wise.com has a you know sign up if you want to move your money ultimately internationally and, and cross border. But if you want to learn more about wise platform and the work we're doing with banks and and fintechs and enterprises uh, globally, please feel free to reach out to myself and also uh, check out wise platform on on the website as well. Very good. Uh, you can always find me lurking predominantly on LinkedIn these days. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps us make it better and helps other people find the show as well. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on pretty much every social media channel at this stage. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider. Or if you really fancy it, you can email us on podcasts at 11FS.com. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Goodbye.